Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Dennis Kozloff. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Morning, church. Good to see you guys. Praise the Lord. Neil made it very easy for me to move right into the main thing because he pretty much made an overview of what we've been doing. We started this, what, four, four weeks ago, series called Biblical Fellowship, and we, we started by comparing early New Testament church with the average American church today. And we, church in America today, we, we consider ourselves to be successors of that church, right? We're a continuation, we're an extension in time and space. Yet when we compare ourselves, and by ourselves I don't mean this church, I mean an average American church, we see that we still value some of the things that those guys valued, like prayer. We like prayer. Every time we get into trouble, we Facebook, please pray. Sometimes it's not real faith-based prayer, but like at least we understand, we acknowledge it. And we love biblical teaching. That's why we gather, that's why we listen, we buy books, we read them, we try to understand, we seek to understand the Bible and know how to apply it to our personal life. But it says that those guys, they devoted themselves to four things. Apostles' teaching, which we're doing here, it's a gospel basically. It's speaking about Christ, what God has done in Christ, how He revealed Himself in Christ. Prayer, which we're doing here every single morning. There are people praying here. But also it says that they devoted themselves to breaking of, to breaking of breads in, in houses, in private homes, and fellowshipping with one another. Actually, this whole thing is fellowship. And we somehow, we love those spiritual things and we value them, but the, 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 the later, we, they're not high on our list of priorities because somehow we, they seem a little bit mundane and probably not worthwhile our time. And they create more inconveniences than they give more blessings. That we, when we compare, say, what is there for me? It's not really worth it. I mean, whatever. Isn't that how average Americans sound? I mean, am I, am I getting your accent pretty right now? Well, anyway, uh, that, that's one thing. So the second day, and I told you that that fellowship, why those believers ascribe so much value and we don't, because they saw something that we we fail to see today, that is, fellowship is not just exchanging pleasantries over a cup of coffee. Fellowship begins in the very inner circle of Godship. God of the New Testament reveals himself as a family, as a communion, as a community. The Father, the Son, and the most gentle Holy Spirit. And it's exclusively their flow of life. Here's the gospel, good news. Through Jesus, this flow of life was made available to you. And the Holy Spirit is, Jesus is the one through whom you enter into this flow of life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who makes you a participant of this flow of life. And you begin to experience that. I hate Christianity as just a mental exercise. Christianity is something that is supposed to, Christian faith is supposed to overtake your whole entire being and transform it from within. Does this make sense? There's a flow of life flowing from the very bosom of God that takes you right into the middle of that. You're invited. This is the gospel. Praise the Lord. I want to break the spirit of timidity. We're not just a religious 
crappy group of people that talk, talk, talk and experience nothing. We experience the present. I'm going ahead of myself. Dennis, calm down. Come on now. Man. So, yeah, fellowship. Fellowship is not just chit-chat. Chit-chat is good. But when you chit-chat in the name of the Lord, the fellowship begins to trickle and flow. And then you begin to experience that. And I don't know, you have goosebumps and somebody falls and somebody feels, oh, what is that heat? Somebody gets drunk. I don't know what's happening. Somebody gets bold. Have you, seen, have you ever seen timid drunks? I've never seen timid drunks. They forget about their self-consciousness and they feel like sharing what's on their heart. That's what a person who is filled with the Spirit looks like. Well, anyway, I, I'm really... Tra tra so then two weeks ago, Neil shared his heartfelt story. He was so sincere and candid when he shared his story. When in 2012, he, being a leading pastor of this church, felt like a total failure, melted down emotionally, ended up like seeing a doctor, and he was that close of saying to his, that close of just quitting it all together and saying, I'm a failure. I tried. It didn't work out. I'm quitting. And he was that close. It was on the day when he was supposed to announce it to his elders that he's done. Look for a new pastor. But he was in a smaller group of Christian friends. He was in fellowship. And those friends felt the Spirit of the Lord urged them to say, don't you dare. That's not of the Lord what you're doing right now. That's not of Him. That's not of the Father. He doesn't view. You, don't, you might not see it this way, but He doesn't see you as you see yourself right now. Don't initiate this. Don't say to your elders that you're quitting. Be open. Be humble. Receive it. If they say, yeah, Neil, you're, you're done. We want new pastor. Follow that. Be obedient, but don't you initiate. And you know, he didn't. Look at this today. And as he was sharing, I was thinking like, dude, if that fellowship wouldn't stop you, I wouldn't be here today. If that fellowship wouldn't have stopped you from that stupid decision, Wes would not be in ministry today, probably. Lindsay would not be a missionary in England today. The church would not have this wonderful worship and the gospel would not be proclaimed. That's a ripple effect of fellowship. Well, anyway, and last, last Sunday was wonderful when Diane and, and, and uh, Happy, they shared. And I don't want to repeat, Neil, but they said the, there's one most important force that can heal broken people in this world, and it's healthy relationship. And it cannot be done online. Even secular people understand that a friend of mine, I have a friend who is a who's a businessman and he's like connected to major corporations all over the world and in America. He, I, every time I call him, I don't know where he's going to be. He might be in Hong Kong. He might be in China. He might be in Japan. He doesn't care. He doesn't have a jet lag somehow. I don't know. I ask him like so much flying, so much traveling, but so many technologies allow you just to, you know, arrange for a meeting online and have a crystal clear picture and wonderful sound and he said Dennis you don't understand my experience tell me that if I'm giving like two-hour meeting online and 10 minutes in person in a heartbeat I take on I get on the plane and I fly because I always can accomplish more by meeting person face to face and being in the same room with him all musicians understand that Christians somehow stopped understanding that we're working our Live stream, and it's going to be great. It's going to be top-notch quality, but it's not going to replace fellowship. Well, anyway, 
Today I want to Today I want to talk to you from a whole different angle about fellowship. There's a whole different side of of the operation of the spirit that can only be experienced in a small group setting. All those one one another's that Neil mentioned and I mentioned, love one another, bear with one another. You know, let me come from this different angle. Every single person I believe in this world wants their life to matter. Every one of you. I don't believe there is a single one of you who said, I just want to live a mediocre life, be like anybody else, die and nobody remember me ever. That's just not true. There is a longing for greatness in every person because God created you this way. And there is a search, there is a quest for significance. Everybody wants wants their life to be important, to be significant, to leave a mark on the history, to leave, to leave a good memory on the generations, to leave a, a heritage of some sort. But as we grow, even in natural, we learn that we can't really find the significance within ourselves. In fact, we find greatness and significance when we find something that is outside of us, that is greater than us, that is bigger than our life, that is bigger than the private life and set of problems and aspirations that we pursue, something big. It's called the vision. And then we join, we submit ourselves to this great vision and we become less so that this become more through us. And that's how we become influential and significant and important. And we leave a mark and we influence people and we as Christians, it's the same way. We look for what is God doing in this world. We want to understand what is God doing. And we want to see if we can join Him. If we can participate. We can be part of it. What is He doing? How can we join? These are very important questions. And today, I want to answer those questions and I want to show you that fellowship has a crucial crucial role in this but fellowship for some reason even if we want to sometimes just doesn't happen well and I want to tell you today why it doesn't and what you can do so that you would increase your chances that the fellowship begins to take place through you and affect other people around you so what is the question is what is God doing in this world and the general answer is God is bringing about his kingdom. Have you heard that? What, Jesus, what was Jesus preaching when he came? He was preaching the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, when we use a phrase or a term of a word for too long, it loses its meaning. It loses its value and significance. So I'll just briefly remind you what it is. What, what is the, this concept of the kingdom of God? Well, some Christians say, when something horrible happens like COVID-19, remember? Oh, God is on the throne. God is on the throne. Don't worry. Well, listen, dude. God is on the throne in heaven, but not here. Do you realize that? Do you realize that this world is still not identical to the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is total and full rule of God. His will is accomplished fully. Is it really the case now? No. So the longing of God's people for centuries was finally, Lord, when this world may be and can be and is right now, there are parts of this world that is a horrible, dark place. Kids are raped. Children are molested. 
I mean, there, you, you can, ah, you can hear news that make your soul torn apart. How can crap like that happen in the realm where God is a king? It can't. It happens because God's, God not, God is not a king in that realm. God is not a king in that area. And the longing of God's people was always, when, when will, will it ever come the time when the kingdom of God comes? And the answer was yes. God said yes. This is a dark place, but the light is coming. The time is coming when the kingdom of God will be established. And people were longing. And there were more and more signs. And there were more and more prophecies. And there were things done. And the nation of Israel was born. And hundreds of years later, the, the air is electrified. They're waiting because they feel like the time is, is about to happen. When God, with the, God will send someone called the Messiah, Christ. What does Christ mean? It means the one anointed to bring in, to the kingdom, bring in the kingdom of God. The king. And then Jesus appears. And Jesus appears. And how does he begin his public ministry? Remember? Repent! For the kingdom of God is near. Repent. That means change your attitude. Change your mind. Change your, the way you think. Change your emotions about life, about you, about everything. Why? Because something has shifted drastically. This world is not going to be the same place anymore. Because the kingdom that was far away is coming close. It's actually among you right now. Something has changed when Jesus came. And his disciples, man, they got so excited. They started following him and they felt so special. And they were looking too for the significance of their life, for the importance. And they found it. Whoa, this rabbi, this Jesus, this Messiah, we found him. Woo! They hacked with this business ideas and shipping and whatever. Jesus, he's the king. He's the Messiah. And they're going and they see the kingdom powers break through him. Miracles happen. Blind people begin to see. Demons are cast out. So they come into the very dark place. The guy is demon possessed. There are like there are hundreds of demons just destroying his life. Jesus comes and says, be God in Jesus' name. All of a sudden his eyes clear up and he's like, oh, where am I? Who are you? Oh, feel so good. What is it? Wow, the kingdom of God has come close to him. And those disciples are excited and they think it's, and they see the, the trajectory is rolling up. Man, more and more people are gathering. People are excited. People want to touch Jesus. People want to hear Jesus. And now they feel important because they're next to Jesus. And they can, what do you want? I'll talk to Jesus on your behalf. So this is all cool and hunky-dory. But listen, then something horrible happens. Jesus at a certain point stops all this thing. He said, you guys are right. I am the king. I am the Messiah. And I am here to bring the kingdom. But you don't know how it's going to happen. It's a whole different story. Right now, you think the world is going to join us? This wonderful political religious movement? No, the world will reject me. What? The world will not accept me. We're going to Jerusalem and there I will be denied, rejected, arrested, humiliated, tortured, and put to death. What? And they just denied. They, 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 they were in denial. They, they would check out. They didn't want to hear that. What are you talking about? He said, that's how I'm going to bring the kingdom. I'm going to reveal to you the mystery. <sighs> Jesus 
Jesus began to tell them the shocking and unexpected truth. The world will not recognize me. And it will, at the end, when I go to Jerusalem and die, it will look like an ultimate failure. But it's not the end of the story. This death is not a simple death. It's not a regular, ordinary death. I am dying the death of you all. I am dying the death of the world. I am taking upon myself all the evil that has ever been done in this world. I will absorb it all. I will enter into the outer darkness. I will let this darkness saturate every single cell of my being. I will absorb all the pain of all the pupil, people, of all the innocent people, of all the children, of all the women. Everybody who was ever violated, I will take it upon myself and I will carry it through death. And I, and I will trust my Father to raise me up from the dead. And then will be the beginning of a new creation. And this new creation can be experienced, can be received by faith. And it, I call it church ecclesia so i'm still bringing the kingdom but i'm gonna birth something a new creation new species new kind of people with a new dna that will be just like me they will carry the kingdom with them and i call this thing the church let's look at the scripture matthew 16 verses 13 through 18 Jesus talking to Peter. And you remember Peter. Peter is excited to be the disciple of Jesus. And Peter is, thinks that everybody's going to leave Jesus. Not him. He's going to follow to the end. He's going to die hard for Jesus. And here's what Jesus is saying. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Son of Man, he refers to himself. Basically, he's asking, who do you, who, What do people say I am? Who do they say I am? And here's the answer that disciples give. That's the rumors that they heard. They said, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Elijah was a famous prophet in the Old Testament. And others say you're Jeremiah, another famous prophet. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I, okay, now I heard the different opinions out there. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, our Peter, our beloved brother Peter, again, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one. You are the king. You are the one who brings in the kingdom. And finally, this world will become the kingdom of God. Will fully become. The, the will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, finally, through you. And here's Jesus' response to this confession of faith. He says, blessed are you, Peter. Simon, he calls him actually Simon. Bar-Jonah means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So you didn't come to this conclusion by your brilliant brain faculties. But my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And listen to what, how, what he does, what he says after that. And I tell you, you are Peter. Peter is the other name of Apostle Peter or Simon. Means rock. And he said, you are Peter. It's a play on words. You're a rock now. Having this revelation, you are rock now. You're not Simon. Simon means a reed that just every wind blows down. But now you're not a Simon anymore. You're rock now because you saw that from the Father. Uh, and I'm telling you, you're Peter. You're rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell 
shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And listen, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose, loosed in heaven. He's talking about authority, tremendous authority of the kingdom given to his church. So the question again, my question was, what is God doing in this world? What is it that he's doing? He's bringing his kingdom. That's the general answer. How is he doing? He's doing it by building the church. The more specific answer that would be. He's building his church. He's multiplying and intensifying his presence through his church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against this church. Well, by now I know some of you think, Dennis, what in the world does it have to do with fellowship? I know what you're thinking. And I will tell you everything. Just bear with me for a few more minutes and you will see that. The question is, how does he build this church? And let's go, let's get into a time machine. So we, we saw young Peter. And now let's go to old Peter, at closer to the end of his life. And he's still talking about those rocks that Jesus talked to him. He's still talking about those rocks and stones. Let's look. 1 Peter 2, 4. As you come to him, Jesus, as you, he writes to Christians, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you see the pictures? He still refers to this original conversation with Jesus. It, it, it became his theology through his years. Now he sees people as living stones. Jesus is the main central rock. The revelation of who he is. So we see this building of the church really happens when two things happen. When people come to Jesus as the central living stone that emanates life and gives life. That turns them into living stones. I know it might be complicated for you, but listen. You are a living stone. If you have ever come to receive Jesus, you became a new creation. You became a new living stone that has life within and now the question is what do you do with that and Paul Peter says God's idea God's blueprint is for you to come together with other living stones with Jesus at the center and as you do that you should learn to be willing to build to be built into something big you know we live in Northridge and this church is located in Northridge most of the houses in Northridge are brick houses right and many of you live in brick houses. So I want you to do this. Next time you come close to any wall of brick, just found one brick. Look at it. Identify yourself with this brick. And now think of you. And ask yourself, like, does that reflect me in my Christian walk? Because that particular brick that you chose would always be connected with some bricks on the side, some bricks on above it, some bricks underneath it. It's built in. Well, on one hand, it lost its a lot of freedoms and has a lot of inconveniences. On the other hand, he gained significance. He became part of the big edifice that is built with a purpose in mind. And that's the picture here. God is building his dwelling place on this earth. 
and you are a living rock. But whether you build, allow God to build yourself into this edifice or not, will determine whether you participate in something that God does today. Does it make sense? And it's really your call. I mean, you don't deserve anything from God by doing that, but you definitely gain significance of your life. Can I hear an amen to that? All right. So that's the picture. And, you know, and some of you, unfortunately, I, I don't mean to hurt your feelings, but listen to me. Some of you are, are rolling stones. You're life stones, yeah, you're living stones. But, and only you can answer honestly. Look at, at, back at your life, and if you see certain patterns, like you cannot remain connected to people. Every year or every six months, you get offended, and you just, you're gone, and you're rolling for a few months or a couple of years and then maybe you're trying again and then you're hurt again and you're offended again and you please be honest with yourself bring it to God and say God heal me something something's wrong with me there I, I need some fixing from you I need to be plugged in I need to learn to let you build me into something that you're building here on this earth all right so Okay, so, well, you, you got the difference, right? You can have 5,000 stones or bricks together, but it'll be a pile. Or you can have the same amount of stones and bricks and it'll be part of the wall of a building where somebody can dwell, uh, dwell live, operate, manifest, and so on. That's the picture. So, okay, maybe it was a little bit difficult for you to receive. Maybe it was a little convoluted, too theological. I'll get to very practical part right now. And if you didn't hear anything, didn't understand anything, please get this part. Because this part will determine whether you would experience the flow of spirit through you to, into other people's life or not. That's how it works. First of all, I'm going to tell you that each one of us, if you're a Christian, if you came to a living rock, living stone, each one of you have been deposited with a measure of grace that is not just for you, but for the body of Christ. Some of you say, Dennis, I've never experienced that. You're cool. You're walking there on stage and you're shouting and yelling and it looks cool. Thank you for your compliments. <laughs> but, but listen, no. And if you, but you will say, no, I, I have nothing. I have zero. I am not a net in Russian. Uh, no, that's not true, my brother and my sister. You believe some lies. If you're a Christian, God deposited special grace into you to minister to his body. And the body cannot grow unless you participate, unless you give your part. But why is it so often that the, this doesn't happen? And here's the crunch. Is that what you say in English? Jesus revealed the greatest secret of how to have the most powerful ministry. The greatest secret of how to have the most powerful ministry is not to try to have most powerful ministry. It's to learn to put aside any ambition and aspiration to be great. But rather deliberately put yourself down. And then... You get the flow of life through you. The whole idea of Christian walk and ministry and service is a service. It's to, be, to become a servant. And it's to learn to empty yourself. And it's your decision 
It cannot be produced by something imposed on you. It's something that you have to deal with before the Lord. I'm so used to people coming to the church with a consumerism mindset. Like, what is there for me? Do I like the worship? Do I like the preaching? And I'm fine. I'm not bashing you guys. We all start there. Every, here's the thing. The Lord knows and He's fine with this. He's fine with self-seeking people and self-seeking Christians. But you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be fine. You shouldn't settle for this to be the rest of your life. You should learn to grow out of that and to learn to, to, to grow, to really grow. You know, so... Three kinds of people come to churches. I, I'll tell you as a pastor. I've been involved in ministry for more than 20 years. I wasn't a pastor, but I was all kinds of ministries. But three kinds of people come, and I'm simplifying, and you, you, are, you fall into one of these categories. And it's not there so that you would think, oh, well, you're judging me. I'm not judging you. I've been there myself, and I'm, I'm there myself until today in some areas. But anyway... Some that know nothing about themselves. They just have no clue. They have no vision. They don't know who they are. They don't know their giftings. They don't know their calling from the Lord. So they come and they say, Pastor, can you help me find out who I am in the Lord? What is my calling? What are my gifts? And we try to help that. And actually, it's, it can be very, very good. So if you're that, come to us. Come to Neil. Come to me. Talk to us. We'll try to help you to navigate to explore your, your walk with the Lord and to find out who are you called to be in the body of Christ in the church. There is a second category of people that comes and they already know. They believe they know who they are and what they want. So they come to the church and they see, is there a place for me here? And we try to accommodate. Usually, statistically, it doesn't go well, unfortunately. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes it works out. And, yeah, I don't know where you are. But there's a third kind of people, the rarest kind. And some of you are that rarest kind. And that blesses my heart. When we first started doing the, the uh, volunteer sign-up encouragement, and people started signing up for different areas. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't talk to you, Jesse, but I want to use you as an example. This brother blessed my heart because he checked like three He lives in St. Paris. This brother lives in St. Paris, not very close. And he checked like this, this, and this. I want to. So I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, so, like, but what is it that you would love to do? He said, I don't care. What do you need me to do? And it was a new feeling for me dealing with Christians. That blessed my heart. And I told him, Jesse, you bless me, dude. I mean, this is, this is, this is pleasant. This is so nice. You know what? This is a posture of a servant. This is an attitude, not what is there for me, but it's like, how can I be of help? How can I serve? How can I stoop down? And let's look at Jesus. He, he unpacks this amazing secret of the most powerful ministry and of the most powerful fellowship that you can experience. And, I mean, it's a good thing. There are people like Jesse. There are people like uh, Sandy who just took care of all the weeds and wasn't in the spotlight but there are people but I want you to know that it's good that you have this heart of a servant in practical things but that's exactly the heart you need to bring into a small group of people fellowship if you bring it there it'll be a blessed experience but if you would come with your big self and you feel like you want to insert yourself or otherwise you want to hide not to say anything it's going to be not a very good group I'm telling you but if each one of us would remember what Jesus told, how to assume, how to 
posture yourself in the way of a servant. Let's read it. It's found in the book of John, chapter 13. And we'll read verses 1 through 5 and then 12 through 17. And I know many of you are Christians for years, so you've heard this story. You know this story. But try to listen to it with a new set of ears. Try to listen to it like you've never heard it before. Let's, let's read it. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart of this world to the Father... John specifically writes that. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, listen, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 12, when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and, you, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed when you do them. You know these things. You knew that things. Now you, I reminded you once again. Now you'll be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed. So Jesus knew two things here. We see, first of all, his disciples still don't really have a clue what he's about to enter. They still don't believe it's going to happen. They still don't believe he's going to die. But he fully, he's fully aware that he is that close to enter into this tremendous darkness and death on behalf of all humanity. He knows that. And also it says that he fully knows who he is. He, where he came from. Where is he going. He knows his status. He knows that he, is, he knows his true worth. Yet he takes aside... His outer garments representing his status, his personal destiny, his calling, his mission. And he turns his attention to the needs of the people God trusted into his care. And washes his feet. And washing feet was a role of the lowest servant in a household at that time. So he deliberately assumes the lowest position. And that's that's simple as that. So, guys, I I'll give you a few examples. I've seen Neil preach a lot of messages, and I help him with the preparation and with sermon prep, and he helps me. And I've seen his most powerful messages done when he's crushed by circumstances, because he was broken, but he still has people to serve, and that was the most powerful times. 
So, Dennis, are you telling us to become masochist, like to love pain, to self-inflict pain? No, I'm not saying that. It just, we don't need pain to bring ourselves down. But sometimes pain helps us to actually lose a big head or something. Not to be full of ourselves. And finally begin to flow in the Spirit. But Jesus wants us to learn to, to assume this posture. And unfortunately, I'll have to tell you the whole truth. You can't build it as a new habit of your life that it will start working automatically like an autopilot. No. He said, I showed you example so that you would consciously do that. Just a few weeks ago, Neil, Susan, a few others, we were part of Revive Ohio. And we were going to go in teams to preach the gospel just to people randomly on the streets. And I was that close to saying no to that because, well, first of all, I'm a pastor. I can, you know, have a little slack from people and not do what everybody else is doing, just get home. Yeah, I was in two meetings already. I was tired. Second, my stomach was upset, and I had a le legitimate excuse. And I was really tempted to just to, I was on the fence between going and do what the body of Christ is doing right now or going home and enjoy my living room sofa. I was... It was a serious choice. Somehow the Lord reminded me that. He said, dude, why don't you choose to put your garments off? To take that comforting option off and embrace the inconveniences and go. Because how about my upset stomach? Well, you're close enough to the restroom anyway. <laughs> so, so I went. And as I went, Susan was there. Where's Susan? doesn't get over there in like 15 minutes from that decision the lord led me to this guy that i knew for five years and for last month i've been praying lord let me start bringing people to you again i haven't led anybody to the lord in like three months it's it's too long lord i need i need to be used by you to touch somebody and the Lord brought this guy right there. I stopped him. God reminded me of specific thing from his past. I told it. I said, well, do you want to receive Jesus right now? He said, yes. And by the end of our prayer, he was crying. I mean, he received the Lord on the spot. And I felt like God is using me and the Spirit of God is flowing. And I believe it actually began to happen when I decided not to go to take my sofa in my living room. I'm not against sofas in the living room. I'm fine. But it's, a, it's an inner thing for you to decide. Nobody can decide it for you. So I'm basically wrapping it up. And I'm telling you, guys, we're starting these groups for a purpose, for a reason. And we really want you to sign up. We just create these containers for you to feel with yourself there. But please, try to come to those groups. Maybe you can't sign up this time. Maybe in the future you will. Try to practice that. Try to come at least once a week to put aside your ego, to put aside your aspirations, your agendas, your inclinations, natural, and try to come as a servant and consider those people more important than you are. Just try it for a while. You will be amazed how powerfully God can use you and flow through you and enrich people and infuse them with, with His life. And I'm done, but I just want to remind you, our good old friend Peter. Remember him? Very impulsive guy. He said, Jesus, if anybody betrays you, not me. Jesus said, really? You're going to deny me three times within the next few hours. And it happened. And Peter was devastated. He was devastated. 
and he felt like he got himself disqualified for the rest of his life. And he actually went back to his old lifestyle. He began to develop fishing business again. And Jesus comes to him and says, Peter. And Peter can't look up his eyes. He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. I love you. I don't dare to say that, but you know I do. And he says, feed my sheep. That sheep means Jesus refers to his people as sheep. It doesn't mean they're dumb and stupid. That means they're vulnerable and they have needs. So take care of my sheep. Take care of my vulnerable people. Take care of their needs. And then he asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. said, feed my lambs. The same thing. Take care of my people who are vulnerable and have needs. See them as vulnerable. See them as little ones. See them as tender ones. See them as those who have needs. And then he asked him the third time, Peter, what, Lord? Do you love me? Peter got really broken by that time. He said, Lord, you know. You know I love you. And he said the same thing. Take care of my sheep. You see what's happening here? That's a call of God to everyone. That's how you, you're being built into the body of Christ. You learn, at least for moments, to forget about yourself. To forget about your problems. You look at Jesus and you look at his sheep. At the people that he values and appreciates so much. And they're vulnerable and they're hurt and they have needs. And they have dirty feet, by the way, and stinky ones too. And you know that if you see their face, you are to shine God's light on their face. But if you see their feet, you are to wash their feet. And if you see their tummy rumble, you are to feed them. That's a call. The body builds itself in love. That's how the church is built. You want to be significant? Become a living stone that is not a rolling stone, but is being built into the body of Christ. Let me pray right now, and I want Pastor Neil to come. Father, we thank you so much that you're restoring the freshness and the glory of your gospel. But we also thank you that you're restoring the call to a Christian living in the light of this gospel, which is a life of serving, serving you and serving others. Father, please inspire our hearts to learn, to follow you in this example, to wash people's feet, to feed your lambs, and to, uh, to take care of your sheep, Lord to put people's needs ahead of our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.